0: Hey, what is up, Grace Point Church? Well, welcome to Church Online. Mike shared last week about turning down the noise, and that's exactly what me and my family did. We were on vacation a couple weeks ago in the mountains of South Dakota and Wyoming. It was incredible. I'm talking breathtaking scenery, and I think I went about three days straight without a bit of service, and so... So much so, at one point, I I completely forgot about my phone, and it just stayed in the car for music. That's the kind of vacation I'm talking about. Well, again, welcome to Grace Point Church Online today. I am so excited to be with you today. My name is Devin Arredondo, and I'm the student pastor at Grace Point Church, and I just wanted to say thank you for allowing me into your life. Wherever you find yourself today, thank you for letting me speak in to you. So today, we're continuing to talk about the life reimagined, life reimagined as we walk through the book of James together. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And now as you turn there, just want to give you a quick recap, remind us all just kind of the general theme of James. Remember, as we read James, the primary theme of this letter is all about being a doer, not just a hearer of God's instruction, both and actually living out one's faith. And so James is filled with rebukes for the church to actually turn from our worldliness and cling to the only stable thing, Jesus and Jesus's kingdom to again, live out what we say we believe in. And so now let's jump into chapter five together again, verses one through six. Are you there? I'm going to pretend that you said yes, because I'm on video and I can't hear you. I can't see how engaged you are or disengaged you are which honestly has its advantages sometimes, and some disadvantages other times. But all right, I digress. Okay, here we go. Verse 5. Let's read this together in our heads. Just put your eyes on this text with me. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Now let's stop here for just a second. James in the whole aspect of this book that he has written, this letter that he's written, turns his attention to the wealthy landowners of his day. And so a more common understanding for us is simply put or better put as just the class of business people. And so as James shifts his writing from the merchant class to the, uh, to the wealthy class, contextually, what we need to understand is there's a commonality that James is trying to point out, that both classes were tied together with a common theme, this desire for wealth. And so we're going to get into this a little bit more in a bit, but we need to understand that as we continue to read through that. So let's continue verse 2. Your wealth... Has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord. Almighty, you have lived on earth in luxury and self indulgence. You fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Well, all right. Aren't you so glad you decided to join the stream today? Right? Like, these are some pretty harsh words from James. So let's break this down together. Let's break this down together. The first thing that James is trying to bring attention to is that money can be dangerous. Money can be dangerous. It's not bad. Don't hear that. It's not bad. It's just, it simply can be dangerous I'll put it in kind of my own language, maybe an easier way to remember, maybe not, I don't know, but living for the Benjamins will be your end. Living for the Benjamins will be your end. You see, money can be dangerous. It's not a bad thing to have money. I've already said that. And I want to make sure to be clear because in fact, I think we all can understand that money is an essential thing. Money can be a very good thing. James uses the analogy of fire in verse 3. So let's think of money real quick together like, like a fire. Fire can do a lot of things, right? Fire can keep you warm. It can cook food for you. It can provide some entertainment. It can also provide some relaxation. All of these are very good things. But fire can also burn you and everything else to the ground if you aren't careful with it, if you don't handle it well. You see, money is so similar. It's good and dangerous. And it's not dangerous in and of itself, but it's dangerous because our hearts are incredibly deceptive. It can be so easy with our deceptive hearts to play around with the dangers of money and end up living for money alone. And when we end up living for money, when we end up loving it, and the appeal of money and wealth, that is when it can ruin absolutely everything. I told you earlier, we went on a camping adventure all throughout some of the most beautiful scenery in South Dakota and Wyoming, and we had the opportunity to rent this sweet little pop-up camper that had the ability to go completely off grid for up to two days, meaning that we didn't need to have a campsite. We had everything we needed right with us. A water tank, a stove, the great outdoors, and now I'm always down for an adventure. And so most of the trip, I was just dreaming about trying to get off the grid, right? To get away from the campsites, away from all the people, and just off on our own, in the middle of God's beautiful creation, the beautiful scenery that surrounded us. Well, finally, I actually got my wish. One day, we attempted to scope out the first-come, first-served campsites all around the Tetons, but we got a little bit of a later start than we'd anticipated, and all the campsites, they were already booked. It was full to the max. So one of the park rangers actually helped us out, showed us a few dispersed land campsites that we could go to. Dispersed land campsites, they're simply off-the-grid places that you're actually allowed to still set up shop because it's kind of public land. And so I was so pumped. We drove to the area that he suggested is about 15 minutes down the normal highway and then another 15 minutes down a really small one-lane windy gravel road. And slowly but surely, we were getting further and further and further into the middle of nowhere. It was awesome. And so we set up shop. And uh, here is actually a picture of our campsite that'll go up on the screen for you. And so there's a picture of our campsite. It's beautiful, right? Beautiful. I mean, forest all around us. A little creek is actually behind those trees there. It was a dream. This idyllic place that I couldn't wait to set up shop in, to just relax in God's creation. But as we started to set up shop, as we started to set up everything and get ready for staying there overnight and throughout the day, we were soon faced with the grave reality that this dream wasn't exactly how it appeared to be and that the dream was going to turn into a nightmare. Because you see what happened was, is slowly but surely, mosquitoes started coming out of the woodwork wasn't too bad at first, right? But then it was like all of the mosquitoes that like got together and sent out a signal to all of their second cousins, all of their relatives, that there was some new fresh meat in town. And then all those mosquitoes got together and then they went and sent the signal to all of their buddies and it seemed like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of mosquitoes just showed up out of nowhere. They were just pumped that some people were there. And all of a sudden, this idyllic place was absolutely ruined. I mean, completely ruined. Relaxing, ruined. Sitting by the campfire, ruined. Cooking, eating, Anything, It was absolutely ruined. I mean, we were putting on long sleeves and pants, spraying all kinds of bug spray, using whatever oils that we could find, and nothing worked. I'm telling y'all, nothing worked. And I just got madder and madder and madder, just constantly swatting away these pesky bugs and getting bit over and over and over again. And I'm not exaggerating when I say I probably had like over 20 bites on me just alone. And so finally, we could not take it anymore. And so we retreated into just the box, the shell of the camper and sat in peace finally away from the flesh eating bugs. And I just kept thinking that, man, this isn't what I thought it would be. This isn't how it was supposed to work. This isn't how I dreamed this up. And in the middle of all of that beautiful scenery, I just felt so discontented. And I think, This could be a funny picture of the American dream, right? Like we've all experienced it. We idolize it. We idealize it. We strive for it. We work as hard as we can so that we can earn as much as we can so that we can buy as much as we can. And then we get those things and we find out that we don't really feel much more satisfied. We find that those things do not satisfy us. See, our money and our possessions become like the pesky mosquitoes on our camping trip. Slowly but surely, more and more stuff appears and it accumulates and you realize that you weren't any more satisfied than you were before. And if you take long enough time to stop, you in fact begin to realize that you're even more discontented than ever before because it wasn't like you dreamed it up to be. Have you ever been there? I know I have. If you've been watching Hamilton lately, I've streamed it a couple times already. It's that refrain from the one song, you will never be satisfied, right? Or maybe a better connection for you, Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction, and I try, and I try, and I try, and so on, and so on. So now rewind with me back to James's first words in James chapter 5. Come now, you rich. Now let's stop here for a second, because some of you went, okay, awesome, not talking about me. I can relax. And I know that because I confess to you that that's exactly what I did. I immediately thought, man, if that wealthy Christian would only follow this truth, man, if that person who has so much more than I have would only do this, man, how awesome would that be? Man, if they could really benefit from hearing this, right? Because this is what we do with a lot of scripture, right? Like right now, maybe you're on your couch looking at someone like, hey, are you paying attention to this? Because you could benefit from this. It's so much easier to nudge someone else's elbow than it is to ask hard questions about ourselves, right? The speck in our brother's eye, but the plank in our own. But I just wonder if we could stop for a second today and humbly come before the Lord and ask the Lord to search my heart. Lord, as we continue, search my heart, and we ask ourselves, Lord, could this be me? Lord, is this us in Bentonville, Arkansas today? Jesus, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. So these stats have changed, and they can change depending on how you do the math, but using some pretty good estimates here, if you make roughly $25,000 a year, you are in the wealthiest 3% of the world. Like, take time to let that truly sink in. 25000 a year, the wealthiest 3% of the world. According to a recent survey of our demographic in the Bentonville area, the average household income is a little over $99,000. Arkansas as a state, has an average salary of $58,000, give or take a little bit, and an annual household income for the U.S. residents as a whole is roughly $61,000. You see, we are wealthy. Let's look at it another way. The United States is the global leader in food waste, not really something you want to lead the way in. Americans discard nearly 40 million tons of food every year. That's 80 billion pounds of food And people way smarter than me have figured out that that equates to roughly $161 billion in our garbages. And before you think I'm here to just beat you up, please, please, please know that I am preaching to myself here. I am a consumer at heart. I love shopping. I love buying things. You know what we did when we got home from our camping trip? We emptied out our cooler and threw away all of the leftover food in the trash. And as we threw it away, I couldn't help but think, man, what a waste. This isn't being a good steward. But you see, I got tricked into the American way, that I'd rather have too much than too little. And you see, James is speaking this into the church. He's saying that money can be dangerous And because of money, misery can come. Because when you put your trust in those things, when they fall away, when they rot, when James talks about moths eating it and gold and silver being eroded, it's dangerous because those things are worthless. Why is wealth so dangerous? When we start to see it in the second half of verse three, James says this, you have hoarded the wealth in the last days. You see, wealth is not the problem. It is the hoarding of wealth and what we do with it. You've hoarded, hoarded. Now, wait a second. Doesn't this sound familiar to us right now? Like, didn't we just go through the strangest crisis of toilet paper supply ever, right? Have we forgotten already about the strange time when we were all laughing at the memes about people hoarding toilet paper? Like, it was hilarious, right? Right? but it was also a little indicative of our American culture. And as Christians, for myself, it was a constant reminder that I need to push against that mentality to hoard and collect. I've got to fight it with everything in me. You see, here's what James is getting at. The reason why money is so dangerous is because it can quickly become the thing that we trust most. And when this is true of ourselves, When we put our hope in the wrong places, then we just kind of settle in, trusting in these things that James has reminded us, they're gonna fall away. The moths are going to eat. It's gonna become eroded. And so we think these lies, if I had this, then it's gonna ease my anxieties, right? My hope for the future is built on these things. If I could just get them, if I just got there in that location or that job, then I'd be happy. And these are the lies that our hearts believe. We use our money as a type of future hope that, okay, everything's going to be all right in the future because I've saved, I've prepared, I've been diligent to be ready for this. But they're lies and they're betrayal of our souls. See, these thoughts are the pesky mosquitoes at our campsite. They sneak in and they ruin our very souls. The very dream that we think is going to be so great, it completely ruins it. You see, when we put our hope in the wrong place, we always end up paying for it. Literally sometimes and figuratively sometimes. Because when you live for the Benjamins, it will be your end. But you see, James and Jesus knew a completely different truth. James and Jesus knew that wherever your money is, there your heart is also. It's crazy, James chapter 5 is actually taking some of his teaching straight from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus actually says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. Sounds familiar, right? Where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures for yourself in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy And thieves do not break in and steal, for wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And I think so often we say this passage as Christians, as followers of Jesus. We know this passage, maybe we say it in passing, right? But we never take the time to sit down and break it down and look at its true meaning. And there's so much power in this little verse. Notice it says, Where your treasure is, there your heart Will be also. So, what we need to understand is that our hearts follow our treasure. Our hearts follow our treasure. And I think we operate on a principle that's kind of close to this, right? But not quite fully there. I mean, I hear people see, say things all the time like, oh, well, if I'm passionate, then I'll put money towards it, right? Or if I love it, then I'm going to go buy it, or then I'll give towards it, or then I'll give money to it. But this is actually a lie, it's a trick we tell ourselves. You see, it's not where our treasure is going to be that our hearts will follow it. It doesn't work that way. It's not this idea of if I love it, then I'll put money to it. No, it's where I've put money towards, that is what I will love. Where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. See, the reason the Bible and Jesus talk so much about money, it's not because God wants our money. It's because our bank accounts are the best account see what we do with our money, the measure at which we desire it reveals our heart far more than our mouths and our actions combined. Because again, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You see, God doesn't want your treasure. God wants your heart and the two are connected. I had a mentor teach me years ago that, hey, you want to know what's going on in your heart? You just simply look at your bank account. And I'm so grateful for this advice because it has helped me quickly notice when greed rears its ugly head in my life, when I'm spending money too frivolously. It's like, okay, Lord, where is my heart out of line? Why did I buy all those shoes this month? You didn't know I am a shoe fanatic. It's a problem. I'm just confessing my sin to you all. Where am I living, Lord, with closed fists, fighting you for control? Where am I holding on to and hoarding the blessing that you've given me instead of giving it freely like you've called me to? You see, our bank account is the most accurate account. It's a blessing that we get the opportunity to understand where we are lying to ourselves about our priorities as Christians. It's a quick heart check. Look at what some of the brilliant former theologians say about this passage that Jesus speaks to and really even their own ideas about money in general. Soren Kierkegaard was a Danish Christian philosopher and he writes this about wealth and possessions. He says this, riches and abundance come hypocritically clad in sheep's clothing pretending to be security against anxieties, and they become then the object of anxiety, right? A little bit of irony there. The things you think are going to save you from anxiety actually end up causing anxiety. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German theologian and an integral part in bringing an end to Hitler's reign, writes something very similar, earthly goods deceive the human heart into believing that they give it security and freedom from worry, but in truth, they are what cause anxiety. Notorious B.I.G., you see, I just kind of snuck him in there like that. One of his famous songs, More Money, More Problems, one of his lines says this, I don't know what they want from me, but it's like the more money we come across, the more problems we see. we know this right like 360 times a day we are being told on Facebook and Instagram and on the radio and through media hey you don't have this or hey you should have this or you need this or look at this what you have now is old and there's a new version this isn't new anymore what you have is no longer cool that's not cool now this is now cool and it's this treadmill of earthly possessions and hoarding our wealth that traps us and it leads nowhere nowhere but discontent billy eilish actually has a song that's really popular right now and has been popular for a while and the opening line every time i hear it it just kind of haunts me it says this i had a dream i got everything i wanted Not what you'd think. And if I'm being honest, it might have been a nightmare. And every time I hear this song, it's like a gut check, a heart check for me as a Christian. Hey, am I pursuing and running after everything that I think that I need or want? Or am I pursuing the things that Jesus wants for my life? Am I pursuing the things that Jesus calls me to as a follower of him? So what do we do with all this? How can we reimagine our life based on what James is writing to the church in the midst of COVID-19, where so many people are losing their jobs? I I can't even imagine. They say we're maybe in an economic crisis and so on. So how does this apply to us now? Well, in some ways, COVID-19 for me has been such a strange blessing, a blessing in disguise because it's been incredibly challenging for me personally. It's been a difficult season, but it has exposed areas in my life where I am grasping for control. It's shown me how I have the tendency to hoard my resources. We hoard, we schedule things in advance, we dream and make plans about the future, what we will do, how we will do it, so that we can continue to trick ourselves into believing that we have the control. Instead of reaching up to God, instead of trusting in his faithfulness, we try to be our own providers. We try and control our own lives. That, hey, I've made a lot of things happen for myself. And so I want to keep things to myself. And you see, COVID-19 came along and reminded me, and I don't think I'm alone in this, but it reminded me that I have very little control over anything. That my security is in Jesus. In ancient Israel, when James is writing here, justice was about a fidelity to a sense of peace and wealth within the entire community, something that American individualism, it it doesn't quite grasp. Sometimes this meant that the wealthy, they were expected to sacrifice in the interests of the poor because again, it wasn't the wealth that was the issue. It was how these people had earned their wealth and what they were doing with their wealth. You see, the older I get, and I'm only 31 years old, so I have a whole lot to learn. But the older I get, the more I realize that Jesus wants to provide his people with freedom. Not a freedom that says, yes, you're free to go out and collect all of these things to consume and purchase and buy as much as you want. But instead, Jesus provides a different kind of freedom, a freedom from that mentality, a freedom that says, because Jesus gave his life for me, I am now a child of God, and that is my primary identity. Everything else might fall away, but that's still who I am when everything erodes, when the moths eat my clothes, it's freedom in Jesus that stays and remains. It's freedom in Jesus that gets to say, I'm not defined by my car. I'm not defined by my house. I'm not defined by my clothes. I'm not defined by what you think about me. You see, you don't have that power over me. The gospel creates this type of freedom. I am his. I have been approved by the only one I need approval from. It's a freedom that says I have been blessed no matter what. And so now I can go bless. And when that is true, I can separate myself from the American way of consumption. I can reimagine my life. And now I still feel the pull. I still feel the pull. I do. But it's in these times that James reminds us to be doers of the gospel, not just hearers, to take the time to examine my heart, to do the tough work with God and allow him to release us from consumption and lead us to contentment. You see, I have to check my account. Why do I care about it? It's just a car. It runs great. It's just clothes. Why do I care about it? They look fine. In another 10 years, those things are going to be gone and eroded anyway, right? But the gospel of Jesus provides a freedom, a freedom of simplicity, a freedom to say in every circumstance, I know what it, ha- what it is to have plenty. Because you know what Jesus' response to us is? Generosity. I mean, think about the verse that we so often quote, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. God sends, Jesus comes, Jesus dies on the cross, taking God's wrath towards those of us who believe and then gives us freely his righteous obedience, the righteous obedience of Jesus Christ. The gospel in and of itself is the generosity of God that grants to us a completely new identity that frees us from the barrage of the mosquitoes that our culture constantly tries to throw at us. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, my hope and my prayer for you is that you would see Jesus for the true freedom that he provides freedom that gives you freely of his righteousness because what he's given for you a freedom that releases you from the control of worldly desire and so if you want to take that next step today you can text gpc connect to nine seven zero 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 get connected to a pastor who would love to have a conversation with you today and then as we sing one last song together a simple request for you if you are a follower of Jesus. Take this next couple of minutes and do a heart check today. We're going to sing a song called Give Me Faith and it says this, I need you to soften my heart, to break me apart. I need you to open my eyes to see that you're shaping my life. All I am, I surrender. So we come to the Lord with that attitude together today, all I am, Lord, I surrender. I release control. I give you open hands. Allow God to check your account. Ask the Father, how am I doing right now? Where are my priorities out of line right now? Where does my heart need to be softened?